The contents of the lab report are meant for educational purposes only and not to be misconstrued as medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Today on The Lab Report, we're going to talk about vitamin D. Yeah, some would argue it's technically not a vitamin, but a pro-hormone. A pro-hormone. Yep. Can we still talk about it then? Sure. Okay, cool. The world of medicine can be challenging. Clinicians and patients are always looking for more options, more effective treatments, and in the end, more answers. Functional and integrative medicine focuses on addressing root causes of disease. Here at Genova Diagnostics, we've watched this field evolve and grow for over 35 years. We've not only adapted, we've led. Join us as we talk about functional medicine, laboratory testing, and optimizing health. Welcome to the Lab Report. I mean, I guess some people think soup is polarizing. Apparently. But... Depends who you talk to, Barb. I thought it's universally beloved. Barb hates it. Hello! Hey, Michael Chapman. Hi, Patty Devers. How are you today? I am living my best life. How about you? I'm doing well, thank you. Great. Hope everyone out there is doing well, and thank you for joining us. This is a podcast called The Lab Report. It's brought to you by Geneva Diagnostics. Mm-hmm. It's where we talk about things like functional medicine, specialty lab testing, integrative therapeutics, and the like. Yeah, and if you like this show, you should head over to iTunes or Spotify and maybe subscribe to the show. Yeah, Leave do us that. some feedback, some uh-huh. stars, yep, rate, review, yep. share it with your friends. Do all that. Yeah. Yep. And if you have additional feedback, you can send it to podcast at gdx.net. That's our email address. It is. We love the emails. So, Michael, mm. today we're talking about vitamin D. Yeah, we are talking about vitamin D. We we said we were going to talk about vitamin mm-hmm. D. And you know what we do here on the lab report? We follow through. We we deliver on our promises. That's who we are. Sometimes we overpromise and underdeliver, but at least we get the delivering done. <laughs> we're well, like Amazon. Well, we talked about vitamin D a bit in the episode where we talked about seasonal affective disorder. Did a little intro. Yeah. But today we're going to hit the topic straight on. And I'm excited about this topic. You know, I say that a lot, but I really am excited about this topic. Vitamin D. Yeah, you know, there's a, there's a lot of buzz out there around vitamin D, if you know what I'm saying. Oh, I see what you did there. what I do? Buzzing. Well, vitamin D does have some good press. It's got some good PR. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's got a, it's definitely got some PR agents <laughs> in the literature world. There's about 10 billion articles on mm-hmm. vitamin D. Yeah. That might be uh, hyperbolic, but you know what I'm saying. As you know, I like to back things up and start with some basic defining of terms. Oh, boy. Oh, no. Really? I don't think that's necessary, Michael. We're going to define terms? I don't terms? think it's necessary. Look out, people. It's time to define some terms. Seriously? What? Is that necessary? Depends on who you ask. Is that what in the dictionary? Well, I only wanted to define what a vitamin was, that it's a group of vitamins that form together to make a vitamin, and it must come from your diet as an essential nutrient. That's what you got? That That's the only term I wanted to define. You wanted to define vitamin, which is... Something that is a collection of vitamins that come from your diet. That's it. Why, why, why am I thinking that we overpromised and underdelivered on that? See, we mentioned that earlier when you. Uh, I mean, intro. Patty, I spent countless <laughs> lunch breaks <laughs> creating that. Okay, I'm going to try to save it then, because we also talked about vitamins being fat soluble or water soluble, and vitamin D happens to be fat soluble, which means it can be stored in your fat cells in your body. Does that help? 
Okay, well, here's something interesting about vitamin D. Mm -hmm. We have so much literature on mm -hmm. vitamin D. We do. And yet it's still quite controversial and misunderstood in a lot of ways. That's true. And whether that relates to what the optimal level in the serum should be, the forms that you should take it, when you should take it, uh, and even what this thing is actually considered a vitamin or, as you said in the beginning, a pro-hormone. That's right. Why can't we figure this out? Well, if we define vitamin as an essential nutrient, meaning it must come from your diet, uh -huh. vitamin D, we can also get it from our diet or a supplement, but our bodies can make it in our skin through sunlight. Yeah, that's confusing, right? right? Because that's not the case with the other vitamins. You so, have to get yeah. them through your diet. Hence you can't the confusion. just make it. Right. Um, it does require something from nature, mm -hmm. sunlight, from that standpoint. You get, either have to get it in your diet mm. or get something from nature. So, you know, I guess there's a, there are a little bit of a gray area in the defining of the term. True. Okay, so vitamin D, whether you get it from sun exposure, foods or supplements, it's inert biologically, and therefore you have to get it activated. And the way to do that is to add hydroxyl groups to it, to hydroxylate it. And that has to happen twice. The first one, after you hydroxylate the first time, makes it... 25-hydroxy vitamin D. And that occurs in the liver. Right. And then the second hydroxylation occurs in the kidney and gives you 125-dihydroxy vitamin D, also known of, as calcitrol. A lot of shipping around of this vitamin D pro-hormone, right? That's true. You know, it comes from either the diet, then it's got to go to the liver, then back to the kidney, and only then is it active to mm -hmm. go to the different tissues. Mm -hmm. Man, it's a lot of work the body's <laughs> doing. But it's important work. Okay, and to add another layer. Oh, boy. There's two types of vitamin D. There's vitamin D2, which is called ergocalciferol, and there's vitamin D3, which is cholecalciferol. So, wow. so you can see how they both they both have that calciferol ending. It's just ergo or choli mm -hmm. is a prefix to D2 or D3. And both of those can ultimately become your active vitamin D. They both will get packaged, shipped to the liver for hydroxylation, and then go to the kidney for second hydroxylation. And either of them can then act as vitamin D3 at the vitamin D3 receptor and, and stimulate, you know, the vitamin D responses. All right. So let's, let's unpack that a little bit. Sure. What's the difference between D2 and D3? Well, vitamin D2 typically comes from your diet in the form of like plants and fungi, mm -hmm. uh, because that is the form that is made by plants and fungi. Plants and fungi do not make vitamin D3. Some fungi, I believe make vitamin D3, but for the most part, we're talking about, uh, Anim or sorry, plant-based sources of vitamin D is going to be in the form of D2. Okay, so then D2 is plants. D3 is actually comes from animals like oily fish or fish oil, liver, egg yolk, or supplements. Yeah, you know, an interesting thing about the supplement bit mm -hmm. is that uh, most of the D3 supplements, mm -hmm. the source material is lanolin. Interesting. And another interesting piece of this is that Vitamin D2 is cheaper to produce commercially, so that's the most common form that you find in fortified foods. And if you're going for a vitamin D supplement and you're not checking which form it is, mm -hmm. uh, you might be you know, going for the cheaper supplement, which is often, ergo, calciferol, often vitamin D2 rather than vitamin D3. And why do we care? Like, what's the difference between, in the body, vitamin D2 versus vitamin D3? Like, when you're doing a serum level of vitamin D, you're not necessarily distinguishing vitamin D2 from vitamin D3, it's, it's total in most cases. So uh, why do we care about this distinction? Well, when you're measuring serum levels of 
vitamin D. Yeah. It's a combination of both, yeah. right? But studies are showing that if you take just D3, it's more effective than D2 at raising the blood levels of vitamin D. So for example, they found that if you get a single dose of vitamin D3, it's nearly twice as effective as vitamin D2 at raising your levels. So if you're che- choosing a supplement, you should consider choosing D3. Yeah, and interestingly, uh, some research is suggesting that there's different ways that the vitamin D3 acts on the vitamin D receptor, uh, and that perhaps the vitamin D receptor favors vitamin D3 form as compared to the vitamin D2 form, which might make it more biologically active as well. Okay, so we just talked about some food sources. Yeah. We talked about supplementation. What's the deal with sunlight and vitamin D? Yeah, I know. That's the main thing that people talk about as it relates to vitamin D3. It's like, oh, you've got to get sunlight to get your (laughs) vitamin D, right? And uh, so it turns out in sunlight, there's UV radiation, right? And there's a a UV type called UVB. And when UVB hits uncovered skin, it actually is able to form pre-vitamin D through a a cholesterol-type molecule. And ultimately, this pre-D is converted into vitamin D3. And so it's almost like a a totally separate pathway. It's a a, a separate way that we can get activated D3 without having a food source of it. Yeah, and that's why there's confusion about calling it a vitamin versus a pro-hormone. Well, and also the other reason I think why we call it a pro-hormone is because of the way that it acts on cells and the way that it participates in sort of endocrine signaling as well. Well, that goes back to what you were just talking about, the receptors. Yeah, so I guess... You know, what I'm trying to say is the interesting thing with these vitamins is that things like vitamin B6, vitamin B12, vitamin C, they have direct action. You know, they're either Mm -hmm. enzyme cofactors or they're free radical scavengers, things like that. Vitamin D is a little bit different where there's there's vitamin D receptors and vitamin D sits on the receptor, causes changes epigenetically, and, and it acts in a cell signaling way. So that's why I think we're calling it, and some people will even refer to it as a hormone itself, not just a pro-hormone. Right, and we, we know that these vitamin D receptors, or VDRs, are found literally all over your body in so many different biological pathways, but the one most people think about is as it relates to bone and calcium homeostasis. Yeah. Because if we're saying that there are vitamin D receptors all over your body, yeah. That includes your gut. And so the vitamin D receptors in vitamin D promotes the absorption of calcium from your GI tract, and it helps to maintain your serum calcium and phosphate concentrations. And we know that these are important for bone mineralization and to prevent hypocalcemia. And so when you have vitamin D assisting in this mechanism, it helps to prevent, it helps to remodel bone with osteoblasts and osteoclasts, and it helps to prevent rickets in children. Rickets, huh? Is that somebody's name? Was it like Eddie Ricketts? Maybe in your high school class. Where, where did that come from? Where did, how did we... What's the entomology of Ricketts? You mean etymology. Entomology is the study of bugs, Michael. Oh. I think it comes from the Greek of rachitis or spine ridge. Interesting. Is it? So it's not Eddie Ricketts. No. Oh. <laughs> but not having enough vitamin D could also lead to osteoporosis and other bone disease. Okay, so you can certainly see how vitamin D is important in bone health, and mm-hmm. that's that's pretty commonly associated. You know, we, right. we think about vitamin D with respect to bone health. That's why we fortify a lot of our cal- calcium-rich foods with vitamin D, right? But again, the fortified with vitamin v- D2, yeah. when in fact D3 is the one that's helpful for bones. Yeah, but it's more expensive, so we don't do that. <laughs> we should. 
And what else? We we think about vitamin D with respect to immunity. Right. That's and big in the news these days. It certainly is. And not just the recent news. What do you mean? Well, back in the day. What day? You know, when there was like tuberculosis and everything. Oh. Back in those days. Yeah. We uh, we used to send people to sanatoriums, right? That's right. And one of the major treatments in these sanatoriums was actually to expose people to lots of sunlight. Well, sunlight and, and fresh air. Right, because right? it was a it. lung disease. Yeah. Right. And so one of the things that they found was the this exposure to the fresh air and or sunlight uh, actually reduced the symptoms and the infectious nature of tuberculosis in a lot of people. So back then they even knew that vitamin D could help your immune system. Unknowingly, But then what is the mechanism by which that happens? Yeah, so vitamin D has lots of different effects on the immune system, and I think it might be important to separate out uh, its role in autoimmune diseases and its role in infection. Um, and because it does have, it plays roles in both of those things. So as it relates to infection, first and foremost, we have lots of epidemiologic evidence that people who have lower levels of vitamin D have higher incidence of infection, like upper respiratory infection and influenza. Um, and this has been studied across multiple seasons. Uh, this has been studied in different, you know, ages, sexes, things like that, all those variables controlled. Uh, there's other studies that have shown that interestingly, like in the winter, when our vitamin D levels are usually lower as compared to the summer, we have higher rates of upper respiratory infection, influenza, and things like that. I never thought about that. So there might be a relationship right there just based on what we think of as cold and flu season, per se. Mm. And, um, you know, the mechanism of that is pretty thick, but it seems to have some actions on the immune system's ability to uh, affect these defense in molecules and, and create these molecules that actively go and uh, address the infection firsthand. So that's that there's epidemiologic evidence and we have some mechanistic evidence there. So uh, the other thing we were going to talk about is autoimmunity. And with respect to autoimmunity, vitamin D plays a big role in how our our cells are differentiating. And it plays a role in the shifts between the Th1 and the Th2 balance. It plays a role in uh, T regulatory cells, dendritic cells, these things that that oftentimes get a little wonky. I know that's a scientific term, <laughs> but that you know seem to be at the root causes of some of our autoimmune conditions. So it plays a big role in that as well. So we talked about vitamin D as it relates to bone health, uh-huh. as it relates to immunity. Yep. Uh, what else does vitamin D do? Well, there's a lot of talk about it being related to glucose metabolism because vitamin D receptors are on the pancreatic beta cells. And so it can stimulate insulin secretion, but then also it can reduce insulin resistance peripherally because there's also receptors on your muscles and your liver. So there's some thinking that vitamin D might be involved in the pathophys of type 2 diabetes. Interesting. Is there, is there anything to say that people with lower levels of vitamin D have higher incidence of diabetes? There are. There's some studies that link lower levels of D to increased risk of diabetes, but the studies are confounded because some of these people are overweight and have other specific metabolic issues going on, so it's hard to tease that out. But they're still studying whether or not vitamin D supplementation will be helpful for glucose homeostasis based on where the receptors sit. Sure. And that's always one of the issues with epidemiological research, right, is that it's hard to exclude all the potential third variables, confounding variables. And it's, you know, you're demonstrating an association, but you don't necessarily know what the cause of that association is. So, you know, that's always a caveat with epidemiology. 
Well, you know, when we did our seasonal affective disorder episode, we talked about vitamin D. So what's the link between vitamin D and mood disorders? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, and it's not just mood disorders. It's it's a lot of different cognitive disorders, uh, neurobehavioral disorders, um, and as you mentioned, mood disorders. And, and studies, a lot of studies have shown that uh, increasing intake of vitamin D can assist in uh, the, the symptoms with associated with those disorders. And they're not all conclusive. Like there's there's certainly some null studies in there yeah. as well. But uh, for the most part, it's it's thought that vitamin D plays a role. There's vitamin D receptors all throughout the brain. And um, one of the thoughts is that vitamin D acts on uh, one of the enzymes which promotes serotonin synthesis. So oh. it actually acts as a uh, epigenetic modification and increases the transcription of the enzymes involved in serotonin production. And serotonin then, you know, has roles in executive function, sensory gating, social behavior, ADHD, bipolar, schizophrenia, all these things. Um, and so that's one of the proposed mechanisms. I believe there's others out there, but that's an interesting one. Yeah. So we're just hitting on a couple of the highlights of the importance of vitamin D throughout the body. So this just kind of goes to show there are VDR receptors everywhere. Yeah. And when you find receptors everywhere, it's a pretty good indication <laughs> that that is kind an of important. important molecule to have, uh, you know, at least not deficient in your right. system. So in order to know whether or not you're deficient in vitamin D, it might be helpful to measure vitamin D. And thankfully, we work at Genova. We're a lab. And we have a test called the NutriVal, whereby you can add on a serum vitamin D, which brings up the whole point of, you know, in functional medicine, we talk about reference ranges differently. Like there's a normal reference range and then there's optimal levels. So where do we fall on this one, Michael? Man, this is this is an interesting one. It's a loaded topic. Because as I alluded to in the beginning, you would think with all the research that we have mm -hmm. that we would be pretty solid on a reference range for vitamin D. But it turns out not to yeah. be so solid when you really look into it. True. So the history is that, you know, originally, actually, studies showed that deficiency was described at levels less than 15. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those studies uh, were done on people with very little sunlight exposure. Okay. And so uh, later that got raised to the levels less than 20 being the diagnosis for vitamin D deficiency. Mm -hmm. Um and then we developed this kind of caveat, this little gray area called vitamin D insufficiency, which would encompass levels of 20 to 30. So that's kind of where, that's where most people agree. We're talking about mm -hmm. vitamin D deficiency and insufficiency. But then the question becomes, what is optimal? That's right? always the question. Because right. that might be a different story. The, what we're talking about is preventing the signs and symptoms of deficiency may not necessarily be optimal in the long run. And that's where you know functional medicine, nutritional medicine sort of takes its stance. And when you look at the literature around what might be defined as optimal, um, there is some evidence that that levels a little bit higher than that levels like 36 to 40 uh, showed some some benefits in enhancing bone health, dental health, uh, reducing risks of falls, fractures, things like that. And in some cases, maybe autoimmune disease. So there's some evidence to support levels a little bit higher than 30 might be uh, might be more optimal. But then there's you know, sometimes we push that. Sometimes we say, well, actually, there's there's studies here over here that showed that levels around 50 
were considered to be, you know, more advantageous. Yeah, and so, some, some of those cancer studies even push it higher than that, depending on the study that you read. Right, right. So we don't have a 100% set definition of optimal. Honestly, we're still, I think, in the process of working that out. Uh, and so, you know, there's this big gray, and some people will push it all the way up to 80, mm-hmm. you know, and more. And, and it's important to note that there's, there's some populations of people that are never because of their genetics, because of their metabolism, that they, they won't get up that high. And you would have to give them really high levels of vitamin D to, to get, to try to get them up to that level. So keep in mind that there, this is personalized medicine and we have to be tracking signs and symptoms. We have to be tracking all these things along with just the lab value. Okay. So what I'm hearing from you is it depends. That's right. Okay. So that's what we're talking about with respect to optimal. Right. But I have one question. Is this the question? It is the question. Oh, no. It's the question of the day. What time is it? Oh, you know what time it is. Question of the day. 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 Wait, what time is it? Oh, I think you know what time it is. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Question of the day. Full disclosure. That's my favorite one. Yeah. It's not long or anything. <laughs> you know, can you have a favorite amongst a whole group of things that you hate? <laughs> That's the least offensive to my ears. <laughs> and that comment was only mildly offensive to my soul. <laughs> but regardless, the question of the day is, can you have too much vitamin D? Like, what's what's the high level? What, what, what should we be looking out here? looking out for here? Hmm. These are great questions, sir. But you know, I go back to the, to the mechanism of things. So we know that vitamin D increases your calcium absorption in your GI tract, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have excessive amounts of vitamin D, it can cause that vitamin D toxicity can result in hypercalcemia, which, you know, then can lead to nausea, vomiting, muscle weakness, neuropsychiatric disturbances, renal failure. So yes, if you take a lot of vitamin D and Additionally, are taking in calcium as well, even more so. But when it comes to this, to the specific levels, it depends what you read. The NIH says that, you know, in a normal adult, male or female, 100 micrograms per day is probably the tolerable upper intake level per day. What's that in IU? 4,000. 4,000 IU, huh? That's what they're saying. Yeah, you know, that just seems, it seems really conservative. Um, and, you know, it's good to be conservative, well, right? Because there's, there is concern about vitamin D toxicity out there. But I will say that, you know, some clinicians will supplement at levels much higher than that for at least short periods of time to bring people's vitamin D levels up. And if you can consider that there are people who are sun worshipers and go to tanning beds, they can get their levels up pretty high. Yeah, it's it's actually hypothesized that people can their skin can synthesize something like ten thousand IU per day, and that doesn't result in any sort of hypercalcemia, and doesn't result in any increase or adverse effects. Uh, maybe other than the effects of this the irradiation from the sunlight <laughs> on the skin for so long. But aside from that, there is some research to suggest that. Uh, there's no, at least in the short term, there's, you know, like 20 weeks or, or shorter windows where people have been given 10,000 IU per day with no increase in uh, serum calcium levels. And if there's increase in serum calcium, you know, one of the ways that the body, the body tightly regulates calcium in the serum, 
And one of the ways it does that, if there's too much calcium, is you, you urinate it out. You know, and so they even look at urinary calcium levels to see if these higher levels, 10,000 IU per day, results in increased urinary calcium because one thought might be, oh, they'd be at risk for kidney stones. Uh, but they didn't see any evidence of that either. And again, we're talking about short-term studies, not long-term studies. So again, what I'm hearing is it depends. That's right. But at the end of the day, I mean, we, we have, we gave you some information about why vitamin D is so important, about what's considered deficient, insufficient, maybe some ranges around what people are thinking are more optimal levels. You can shoot for those ranges. Um, you know, use your lab testing to help you in your clinical practice. And of course, of all things, use your best clinical judgment. Tons of great information today, but I do think we've only just scratched the surface of vitamin D. Scratch the surface. That's right. It's a funny phrase, right? I mean, I, I don't think of that as being positive. I, I'm not going around scratching a lot of surfaces. You scratch your head, you scratch your back. Touche. But now the word scratch just sounds weird. Scratch. Next time on The Lab Report, we're going to explore our favorite holiday traditions. Yeah, I'm going to bring a partridge, put it in a pear tree. Yeah, and we're going to interview good King Wenceslas. I'm sure we can get him. Yeah, sure. You've been listening to The Lab Report. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast, rate us, and leave us a review. To learn more about Genova Diagnostics, visit our website at gdx.net. There you'll find information on specific testing, educational resources, and how to connect with our show. Call us at 1-800-522-4762 or email us at podcast at gdx.net. You know the Dr. Seuss, Mr. Grinch song? Oh, One of my favorites. Makes me laugh. Oh, yeah. Every time I hear it. (laughs) What's, What's your favorite line from that? Your heart is full of unwashed socks. Your soul is full of gunk. Yeah, that's good. Uh-huh. I like uh, you're a three-decker sauerkraut and toadstool sandwich with arsenic sauce. <laughs> it's pretty good. That sounds delicious. <laughs>